0: Then God said, No, it's all right. I'm okay with that. Are you guys okay with it? You don't even know what you missed, huh? <clears throat> oh, you'll have another chance to see it on Christmas Eve. So I encourage you guys to come out for that. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 7. And as we begin to take a look at what the Lord has for us in Acts chapter 7, I'm reminded as we as we consider the the beauty of this particular season and we think about Christmas time. One of the miracles of Christmas is God's presence came. Prior to that, not just anybody could could be a part of God's presence. There were unique times where God Revealed himself uh, to the people around him. But it, on this particular day, God's presence came to dwell with men. And it was foretold all throughout the scriptures. We think that Christmas begins on that day when we, when we read about the nativity and we see the little baby laid in the manger. But really, Christmas was talked about even thousands of years before that. God began to give a promise Back in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen, the proto evangelicum, the first mention of the gospel speaks of a deliverer that would become that would come and be born one day. And in, through each one of God's heroes, God's champions through the Old Testament, the Lord would reveal again this concept. You're my champion now, but there's one who's coming. There's one who's coming. And Christmas is all about being able to say that there's one who came. He's been with us. He's been here. And as we remember, as we look at at Acts chapter 7, it's kind of unique because we see Stephen going back and giving a a sermon, if you will, uh, illustration through history. And if we are willing to have eyes to see, we can see that as, as he looks back through history, we see the promises and we see the way men respond to Christmas. Uh, like today, you know, we all know, if we were to turn on a the TV, there'd be a hundred different commercials telling you what you have to have for Christmas, right? Or what your kids have to have, or or what you ought to do. And then and occasionally there'll be ones that, that ask us to give for for something else. And we, we see the concept of Christmas commercialized. But... Don't you see in the beginning, the concept of Christmas was simple. It was God's presence with men. That's what Christmas is. That's what it's all about. That God came. That He walked. That He's been here. That He will be here again. That He came to give to you and I a, a unique promise. And if we'll look back at the history and we'll say, Listen, I want to learn from the mistakes of history, the the people who went before me, so I don't repeat the same mistakes. If we'll see those things, then truly we can have a heart of Christmas that, that is looking for the presence of God. Every day. And not just one day out of the year. Not just December 25th. But every single day, every single opportunity, that we might have as we as we consider what Stephen's already given to us in Acts 7 he begins with a promise to Abraham he says god came to abraham and he said go to a land that i will show you god revealed himself remember i told you there are, there are champions of god that god reveals himself to this champion who then goes out and and we talked about the three things that abraham did that really helps us understand what it is to respond properly to god he was obedient to what god told him to do the second thing is he put his faith in god not in the things around him or in his circumstances he trusted more in the promise of god than he did even in his own body he was told he would have a child at 75 and for 25 years he had none and then god gave him the child of promise through Sarah, his wife. He had faith in God. The Bible says it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed God. This is so important for us if we want to be able to move forward and, and respond correctly to the presence of God. The third thing we see that Abraham, that Stephen tells us, is he had endurance. He had endurance. He had to wait a period of time for the promise of God. And even when he went into the grave, he was still looking for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was still looking for more than what was there. Looking still, yet, for the promises of God, dying in faith. And Stephen turns from there and he tells us of the plot of Joseph. He, he moves to another champion of God. And you remember as we look at this champion, one of the things that marked him is that he cared more about his father than he cared about anything else. Some people call that being spoiled. Some people call that uh, uh, being a tattletale, what have you. He cared more about every circumstance that came into his life. He cared more about how that looked to his father than anything else. Comes, becomes a great picture of Jesus Christ to us. Whose whole purpose was to live a life that would please his father in heaven. So what do we see that happens? The patriarchs symbolizing the other people. They give us another example on how to respond to God. You have Joseph there. He's going to learn through some things. But as we have Joseph, we have... How did they respond? How did the others respond to him? They were jealous about how the father loved him. They were jealous about how they sold him into slavery, right? So Joseph goes into slavery. He's accused while in slavery of... Of trying to sleep with Potiphar's wife which he didn't do and he's in prison his time of slavery and imprisonment totaled 13 years that was the trial of God's champion Joseph and during that 13 years what the Bible tells us about Joseph is that he responded properly to God he was obedient to what God told him to do And he had faith in God. Even though he's in the middle of a prison, he trusted in the promises of God more than anything else. And he had endurance to wait to see the promises fulfilled. And in one day, he went from a man in prison to the second most powerful man in the ancient world at that time. And God delivered the children of Israel through Joseph. And we begin to see this picture Joseph rejected the first time sold in the slavery, the second time received, and the people delivered. We begin to see this pattern as Stephen goes on to talk about God's champions. Then he, he, we begin to just uh, begin to talk about the concepts of the perils that they had in Egypt. We see that a king came on the scene who didn't know Joseph, and at one time the children of Israel were honored there, in Egypt, because they stayed because of the famine. But then there was a king who, who, who looked at him and said, Look how many they are. If they decided to rebel against us, they could conquer us. we got to do something about that. So the perils that they had in Egypt are important for us to remember, because you and I forget these all the time. The perils of Egypt can be translated to the perils in the world. The perils in Egypt, they, they, were, they were killing their children... They were causing them to leave their children exposed. Lay them in the Nile. Leave them outside. Toss them out for for wild beasts. This was something that, that Pharaoh was forcing them to do. But you see, God put them there. God put them there. God put them there so that they would see what it is that the world does. To try to help them grow to the place where they would learn... To turn their heart away from the world and toward God. So that they as a nation could be God's champion. So they learned dissatisfaction with Egypt, didn't they? They were dissatisfied with how Pharaoh treated them. Dissatisfied with the bondage, the way they had to work, the things that were going on in their life. They were dissatisfied with all of these things. And in the midst of that, God, hearing their dissatisfaction, seeing their, their hurt... Knowing what was happening to the people, he sent them a deliverer. The Bible says Moses was born and he was a beautiful child. And the parents say, we're obedient to God. They chose to stand up and be God's champion. They were obedient to God. They believed in the promises of God more than the edict of the Pharaoh that said that their child would die. And they laid that baby in a basket. We talked about it last time. Covered with pitch." And sent it down the Nile River. They trusted that God would care for their child. And God delivered. And Moses is raised by Pharaoh. Nursed by his own mother. Taught the things that all Hebrew children would be taught there as they were raised up. Moses knew who his mom was. Knew who his family was. But he had the opportunity that God had blessed him with to be raised up in a position of power. Obvious to everybody who was watching, especially Moses, that he was to be God's champion. The next deliverer. But as Stephen goes on to share with us, sometimes one of the things we learn from men is that we don't learn from history. You ever experience that? You ever make the same mistake more than once? We're going to read in a moment, but I I remember going through the Old Testament and seeing all this stuff going on and thinking, how dumb could these people be? And I think they're in heaven looking at me, and they're thinking, Lord, do you watch what this guy's doing all the time? How dumb can these people be? Because we do the same kind of things. We see the... The scene is set for, for God's next deliverer, the next one who would come on the scene. Well, let's, let's just pick it up in uh, <clears throat> verse 23. It says, in verse 23 of Acts chapter 7, we'll read together. <clears throat> now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. On the next day, he appeared to two of them that were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the Lord of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. (laughs) Well, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is what Moses, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren, and him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. ...whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their heart they turned back to Egypt, saying, Aaron, make us gods to go before us as this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets... Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? For you also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, images which you made to worship. So I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just, as we take a look at the history of the nation of Israel and the history of their resistance. To what the Holy Spirit was doing. God, may we remember, may we realize. We don't want to repeat that history. Father, help us respond to the Holy Spirit properly. Help us respond as you would have us respond. And we will give you the praise and the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Scripture tells us when we consider Moses... That Moses was raised up in the best schools of Egypt. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing if you consider that today we cannot still replicate the things that they did. They had two of the seven ancient wonders of the world in Egypt. The pyramids, a lighthouse that they had. They had the the Sphinx, we see all these things. If you have an opportunity to travel to Egypt, you can have an opportunity to, to see some of the amazing things they did. <clears throat> some of the things that were painted within the pyramids, the colors here, what, 3,000 years later, are still vibrant. I have to paint my house all the time. Well, my house in California, it wears out every couple of years. I've got to put more paint on it. The Egyptians figured out how to do it and make it last, but we can't do that. We can't repeat a lot of the things they did. Over a million stones, each weighing over two tons, built a pyramid. Without cranes. The tallest building in the ancient world. The Pyramid of Giza. The wisdom of Egypt was was pretty amazing. In fact, there was an obelisk that they built where on Pharaoh's birthday, the sun would shine through a particular part of that obelisk and light up the, a, a doorway uh, on this pyramid for Pharaoh. So every year on his birthday, it would do the same thing. Yeah, we, we, we can't do that stuff today. We, we actually <clears throat> tried and we missed it by a couple of days. So, there's the same kind of a, of a, of a understanding when we consider that Moses was trained by the best minds of the day. It's absolutely true. He was trained by the best minds of the day. God raised up this deliverer and gave him the best possible education that he could give him. This is the, the position that Moses had, the power that he had. The Bible says, as we read in, in, uh, in verse 22, <clears throat> Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in word and deed. And after 40 years, it came into his heart. So he's 40 years old now. It has entered into his heart that he would visit his brethren. Visit. He'd go down and, and see what was happening with them. So he went. Scripture tells us that seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him and oppressed who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. So Moses, recognizing that he's had all the best training and all the best things that he needs, decided that he is going to be the deliverer. He goes down, he's visiting, he sees an Egyptian doing something, hurting a, a, one of his Hebrew brethren, and he kills him. And he takes him, the Bible tells him, buries him off someplace, and he's he's ready. Man, I, I'm I'm feeling like the guy. I have all the knowledge I need, I have all the stuff I need, this is... The position he had. He was a very powerful man in Egypt. But even for a very powerful man. He's not able to deliver his people on his own strength. One of the amazing things about Moses is written for us in Hebrews 11. verse 24. (coughs) Scripture says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked toward the reward. He had an opportunity to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then he would no longer be a Hebrew. He would be in the lineage of the monarchies of Egypt. But he turned all that down. He turned all that down to be obedient to something that God had placed on his heart. It came into his heart to visit his people. For he was the deliverer, but he was a deliverer who was not yet ready. The scripture tells us after he killed this man, he tried to reconcile two brethren. And when he did, what happened? He's trying to reconcile two brethren and they begin to throw back at him what he had done. Were you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? But prior to that, in verse 27, I want you to see, as Moses presents himself to his people, a deliverer, they reject him the first time. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Well, the answer to that is God. But Moses wasn't quite ready. He he reveals himself, the people reject him. They reject him from... Ruling over them. And so it says Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. So he left. He left Egypt. He left this, this dream of being a deliverer for the people. And he ran out to the backside of the desert. The next verse says after 40 years. How old is Moses now? 80. 80. <clears throat> D.L. Moody said that he spent 40 years learning how to be somebody. 40 years learning how to be nobody and 40 years learning what God can do with nobody. That's the life of Moses. He went on the backside of the desert where God would continue to train him. We think sometimes the things that are happening in our life have no value to him. Moses is in the backside of the desert. I'm sure he thinks that whole dream is over. I'm not going to be the deliverer anymore. I'm happy just to be married. I have two two sons. I got God's blessing here and my children. I got sheep. I got everything I'll ever need. I don't need anything else. But all the while, God was teaching him. Because as Moses is raising the sheep on the backside of the desert, he is eventually going to bring over 600,000 men, not including women and children, on the backside of the desert and help them. Help raise them. God was teaching Moses something so specifically needed for God's champion, and that is the heart of the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd. We see the heart of the shepherd in Joseph. We see the heart of the shepherd in Joseph when his brothers come to him, and Joseph forgives his brothers when he reveals himself to them, and he says to them, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he gave forgiveness, and he took care of his brothers. In Moses, now we see the heart of the shepherd being built within him. Every champion of God has to have the heart of a shepherd. The heart of a shepherd that desires to care for those people of God, wherever they might be, to help and be part of a solution. So here is Moses learning the heart of the shepherd, learning what he needs to do to become everything that God wants him to be. So Moses learned on the backside of the desert, How to be a shepherd for God's people. Moses didn't see it at the time. Which means we don't recognize it either. Do you see the fingerprints of God in your life? In the disappointments? In the times when you feel as though God has left you alone somewhere? Maybe in the backside of the desert for yourself. Do you see the fingerprints of God? There are no experiences in your life or mine. That are not utilized by God to prepare us to be... If we're willing to answer the call, prepare us to be, you and I, God's champion. Are you willing to see the fingerprints of God in the things that are going on in your life? God will never waste a hurt. We think those hurts are wasted. Oh, was the point of that? But God uses that. To prepare your heart maybe to be a better shepherd. To prepare your heart to be able to minister to somebody else. To prepare your heart to be willing to be submitted and broken before Almighty God. And learn the concept that Abraham had that the champions of God all experienced. To be obedient, to have faith in God, and to have endurance. To rightly respond to what the Holy Spirit is working and doing in your life. So when Moses is 80 years old, God reveals himself to him. When is it too late? Is it it too late for God to use you at a certain age? That's it. You know, this was it. You know, he needed to use me between 20 and 40. After that, it's over. Yeah. (laughs) I know better than that. John's out, CSI, passing out Bibles, reaching out to people. It's never too late. Never too late. The Bible says, because God's blessing was on Moses, when he was 80, he was still as strong as he had been when he was a young man. He still had 20-20 vision. He was better than me. He was still able to see. He was still able to lead. And he's going to become God's man for the next 40 years. 120 years he's going to live. And 120 years God is going to train him and raise him up to be his champion. He had endurance. He had obedience. He had faith in what God was doing in his life. And we have to learn from that. So God's going to reveal himself. How does God reveal himself? Well, we read about it here in verse 30. It says, And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, a bush, in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, The voice of the Lord came to him. We read about this story in in Exodus chapter 3. In fact, if you guys want to flip over there, we'll take a look real quick. So we can see the story of God revealing himself to Moses. But what I want you to recognize from this scripture is we have a character in the Bible who's going to come up fairly consistently called the angel of the Lord. Has a definite article which sets him apart from all other angels. The definite article, the word the, in, in this case, the angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the, the angel of Yahweh. The, the word angel means messenger. You know another, word, another way to say the, the word angel? I just want you to think on this for a minute. Another way to say the word angel is the word. Chew on that for a second. The angel is the messenger who brings what? The word. From Who? God. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes. The Word was God. The angel of the Lord, the Word of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, written on Jesus' thigh, The Word of God. I would suggest to you that that's another a title, another form of the same title, the Angel of Yahweh. The Word of God, the Messenger of Almighty God, the actual Word, God in flesh. So, as we look at this, an angel of the Lord, always, always, the angel of Jehovah is going to refer to Jesus Christ, a pre incarnate picture of the only part of God who can be known. The Bible says that God is an unknowable God, He's invisible. How do you know somebody who's invisible? You don't. How does God reveal himself to us? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God in the flesh, angel of the Lord. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3, <laughs> verse 1 Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came. By the way, back of the desert. That's. Come on, brother. <laughs> Man, you know the preacher lives in Castleford, right? He's, he, he's mocking our hometown. What's up with that? We'll straighten him out later. All the Castlefordians and myself will have a meeting with John after church. <laughs> Lord have mercy. On the backside of the desert, they came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now they're at Mount Sinai. Horeb's another name for Mount Sinai. Why is that important? God's going to call Moses from the same exact place that he's going to bring the children of Israel to receive the law. The same place where the bush burned is the place where the mountain burned when God gave the law. Mount Sinai. The call and, their, and their, the end of their journey all come to the same place. And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So I don't want you to learn, I don't want you to lose what's going on. We're going to hear God speak from the angel in the bush that burned without being consumed. The voice of God, the word of God, coming forth from the word of God, Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. You'll see it all throughout Scripture if you uh, care to, to to study and look at it. So he looked. Behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said. Well, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw, oh, that's the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, the proper name of God. When he saw that he turned aside to look, then God called to him out of the midst of the bush. Who called to him? God, out of the midst of the bush. Who was in the midst of the bush? The angel of the Lord, who is the word of God, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, before he came in the nativity Over and over again, you'll see him. You'll see him with Joshua. You'll see him with Moses. You'll see him with God's champions, revealing himself through Jesus Christ. So, we see Moses standing there. It says, God called to him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. (laughs) That's all I could think to say, too, if a bush started talking to me. Today, we'd say, here I am, and we'd look around for, where's the camera? Somebody's here, right? Moses, he he says, here I am. And we see his response to the angel of the Lord. Let's look back in Acts chapter 7. Keep your finger in Exodus. and we'll be back. But back in Acts chapter 7, we see Moses' response. In verse 31, it says, Moses saw him. And he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him and said, I am the God of your fathers. Who's speaking again? The angel of the Lord from the midst of the bush, saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus, fully God. And Moses trembled and dared not look. As we see the response of Moses, I think there's some important things for, for us to gain. Because today we often focus, and I don't think it's necessarily bad, but we overemphasize an attribute of God. The, the, the Lord said not to make any graven images of God, because when we make a graven image, we'll overemphasize an attribute. God has many attributes, right? Many attributes of God. One of those attributes is love. The Bible says God is love. Another one of those attributes is holiness. We tend to emphasize love. So when we emphasize love, we talk about forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And those are all great things, necessary things, required things in our relationship with God. We would never be able to have a relationship with God apart from those. But sometimes we forget about God's holiness. We start to look at God or Jesus as our, our buddy and somebody that we can be ultra casual with. But I want you to go through the pages of scripture and see all the times people met him. All the times the angel of the Lord appeared to somebody and see what they did in response. Just like Moses. He wouldn't even look at him. Because in his presence, all he could think about was his unworthiness. And I'd like to say that in order to be, in order to answer the call to be God's champion, to respond properly to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit prompts us to move us, we have to have an accurate view of ourselves and not an elevated view of ourselves. We can't be self-righteous. We can't have the attitude that somehow we have got it all together and that we're able to do what we need to do on our own strength. We have to recognize it's all about Him. He's the air I breathe, the reason I serve, the things I do are all surrounded in Him. And that concept of what God wants to work and do through my life, it's important that I have an accurate view of Him. No graven images, not God in my own image, but God in in His holy, pure, right, true, and loving, and merciful, and graceful. Willing to forgive. We've got to see that. And I think that's what we see in the the initial response of Moses. He didn't forget his holiness. What's the next thing that we see he did? The Lord said in verse 33, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. That seems like a strange thing. First, we see Moses doesn't look at him. He's filled with reverential fear. He, he actually cares about how God sees him and, and recognizes his own need for a Savior. That's vital. But then God says to him, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. To me, take off your shoes implies a personal relationship. God is saying to Moses, I don't want anything between your skin and your skin. And my holiness. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And the holiness that God gives to each believer who comes to him in this way. With a reverential fear. Who comes before God recognizing his need. Who comes before God in an attitude of submission. Takes off his shoes. It speaks of that. Submission. Being obedient, right? Putting your faith in God. God said it, I'm going to do it. There go the shoes. Joshua learned the same thing, didn't he? (laughs) Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was preparing for the battle of Jericho, you remember the rather unique plans they had for the battle of Jericho, right? Night before the battle of Jericho, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked. Right after the children of Israel had consecrated themselves before God, and every man had been circumcised prior to battle, which doesn't make any sense at all. Joshua, every man's been circumcised, they're not moving too much. Joshua's thinking about the plans, you know, for for the upcoming battle. He's walking around. It says, a man stood up opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or our adversaries? So he said, no, you you don't understand. And I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have now come. Joshua thought he was the commander of the army. But the angel of Yahweh is also called the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus Christ stands before Joshua, a type of Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because Joshua fell down on his face and worshiped him. Are we supposed to worship angels? Last time I remember, in the book of Revelation, it happens a couple of times where John bows down to worship an angel. Remember what the angel says? Hey, don't do that. Don't stop. Worship God and Him only. So when the angel receives worship, what does that mean? He is God. It's the only answer. He is God. He fell down on the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to this servant? So the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. Same thing that the bush said to Moses. Take off your sandals, you are on holy ground. It's a sign of respect and honor, a sign of submission, a desire to say, I am all about your glory. Your glory is foremost in my mind. In Acts chapter 9, when God speaks out of the heavens to a, a man named Saul who was thrashing the church every time he turned around, and Saul came to know who he was, Saul says to him, Lord, who are you? And the the voice in heaven answers, I am Jesus whom you have been persecuting. Do you know the next thing Saul said? Tell me what you want me to do. An attitude of submission to now offer your life to God for his glory. Is God's glory more important than anything else in your life? Or is your glory more important than that? How people see you, how people think of you, what people, what people have go through their mind when they see your face. Does that matter more than how God is glorified in your life? If it does, you're not ready to be God's champion. You're not responding rightly to the Holy Spirit. You're not walking in obedience, faith in God, and endurance. You're walking like the children of Israel did for all those years, resisting the Holy Spirit. It's about God's glory. It's all about Him. And then we see immediately, we see God's response to the suffering of the people. You ever wonder what God thought of your suffering? It tells us in Acts 7, <clears throat> verse 34. Three, four things that God says. God says right here four things. He says, I have seen. I have heard. And I have come down. And lastly, I send you. Is that not the Christmas message? I have seen, he says in verse 34 I have surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have seen what's going on, I know what is happening. The next thing he says is, I hear. He says, I have heard their groaning. I have heard the moaning. I have heard their cry. What was necessary for God to be able to move? God's people had to recognize and be dissatisfied with all that the world is trying to fill them with. Because if they're not dissatisfied with all that the world is trying to fill them with, they are not ready to receive all that God has for them. Their heart is still in Egypt. But as soon as God's people cry out to Him for deliverance, as soon as God's people are uncomfortable, as soon as God's people enter into a time of dissatisfaction, the Lord says, I hear. I hear your cry. I see what's going on in your life. And he's moved with compassion. In Psalm 56, one of my favorite things that that God said through the psalmist. Beginning in verse 8, he says, You number my wanderings. You ever remember the old hymn, Prone to Wander, Lord I Feel It? Prone to Leave, The One I Love. It's an old hymn. The scripture lays out for us the concept that we are prone to get lost. So here it says... In Psalm fifty-six, verse eight, you number my wanderings; you, you count all the times I mess up. Not so that you can keep track out of them, but because you are there to let me know you see, to let me know you hear, to let me know you're there. And then, then he says, "You put all my tears in your bottle." You know that God saves every tear you've ever cried. That tenderly, God is there. There's a thing in Israel you can get; it's called a, a, a teardrop bottle. It's flared so that you could gather your tears. And people would gather their tears in those days. The psalmist said, God, he puts my tears into his bottle and they're written in his book. And when I cry to you, then my enemies will back down. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The psalmist, recognizing the compassion of God, he hears us. And then he came to deliver. I have come down. And you shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God here. I have come down And then he says to Moses, I send you. Matthew, the Lord laid out for us the same phrase. I send you. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. We have a job to do. As God's champions, we have a job to do. Well, so how did Moses respond to all this when the voice comes to him and when God begins to speak to him? And we want to see, we want to have that attitude, right, of a proper response to the moving of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to resist the Holy Spirit, we want to respond to the Holy Spirit. Well, let's take a look back in Exodus chapter 3, you can see it. We'll touch on it quickly, but you can follow through hopefully as we work our way through it. God says, I am sending you. How does Moses respond? In Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. God says, I'm sending you. He says, who am I? But God is patient. God responds and says, I am with you. And Moses responds in verse 13. Moses said to God. Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of their fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say? He's got got another question. Well, well, I don't even know your name, God. So God says to him, I am the I am. I am has sent you. So Moses again questions. So Moses answered and said, But suppose they don't believe me. Or listen to my voice, that the Lord has not appeared to you. They begin to say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So then God says, what's in your hand? A staff. Put it on the ground. He puts it on the ground. The staff becomes a snake. You see what the scripture says next? Moses was afraid of snakes. That's what it says. He ran away. What would you do? You put the stick down on the ground, it turns into a snake. He backs away. So what's God telling him to do? Pick it up. Grab it by the tail, though. So he reaches down and grabs it by the tail. What happens? Becomes a staff again. He says, put your hand in your cloak. It becomes leprous. He pulls it out. It becomes leprous. Oh, no, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Put it back in your cloak. He puts it back in his cloak. Pulls it out. It's been cleansed but Moses questioning and questioning and questioning everything that God says it's going to be okay I've sent you I am with you I am the I am he says what's in your hand I will work through you I'm going to do incredible miracles that's God's response to him so then Moses says oh lord in, verse, in chapter 4 verse 10 I am so or, I am so I am not eloquent Neither before or since you spoke to your servant, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I I can't hardly speak, God. How did God respond? Who made your mouth? I did. Who makes the eyes? Who makes the blind? It's me. It's me. And then finally Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send by your hand anybody else wow I guess that would be an example of resisting the Holy Spirit right As God continues to say go and Moses struggles with no not me somebody else I can't I'm weak I can't do it I can't do it are those some of the same excuses that we use Are those some of the same things that we say when we talk about different needs around the body of Christ, different opportunities to serve or opportunity to witness to someone? Do we say, I don't have words, I'm not very eloquent, I can't speak right? That sounds exactly like what Moses said. And what did God say to him? I made your mouth. I'll give you the words. Speak what I say to speak. Moses, we see resisting the Holy Spirit, but... God wins. The next phrase says that the Lord was angered and he sent Aaron along with him. He gave Moses somebody to hold his hand, tell him it would be okay, his brother. But he still went. And even though he resisted, he becomes God's champion. One of the greatest champions in scripture. In fact, if you go to Israel today, they will put Moses on a pedestal. How great Moses was. I just told you all the ways he resisted. Did you hear it? Now let's pause. Let's think Christmas. Let's think uh, the gospel of Luke. In the gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And he says to Mary, Mary, you're going to be with child. Mary asks one question. How can these things be? I don't think that's unreasonable. Do you think that's unreasonable? She says, I've never been with a man. How can I have a child? That's a reasonable question. The angel answers the question. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The Most High will come upon you. And the child that you bear will be called the Son of God. You remember what Mary said? May it be to your handmaiden as you have said. God comes to Mary and says, Mary, will you be my champion? You're going to have a child out of wedlock. Everybody's going to look at you as though you are a horrible sinner your entire life. They're going to think you were unfaithful to Joseph. And they're going to call your child a bastard child. Illegitimate. Nobody's ever going to know. Nobody's ever going to believe. Or very few. Mary. Will you be my champion? May it be as you have said. Then she re- writes her song, My Soul Doth Magnify the Lord. Don't you understand why the Bible says Mary is, is to be held above all women? Not that she's holy or, or the queen of heaven. No. She was a champion of God. She was a champion of God. And her whole life, she's going to be ridiculed for it. But she was a champion of God. They extol Moses, who questions everything God tells him. The whole time, finally, God has to give him somebody to hold his hand, because he's so afraid. But the Lord said, blessed are you, Mary, among women. Blessed are you. You answered the call to be my champion. So we see Moses answering the call. But look at Acts chapter 7, verse 35, as we kind of wrap things up. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. God sent him by the hand of the angel. Who is the angel? The angel is God himself, incarnate, Jesus Christ. He brought them out. He brought them out of Egypt and he showed them signs and he showed them wonders and they... They had all this happening in their life. The amazing crossing of the Red Sea, the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. This is that Moses that said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet who is like me from amongst your brethren. Him you shall hear. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the prophet. The Pharisees asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet. That's what they were talking about. The fulfillment of the the coming deliverer, the ultimate champion of God. Are you him? Moses says, there's one coming. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel, who spoke with him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the law, the living oracles to give to us. And how did the people respond? Moses ultimately finally responds. He finally leads the people out. He takes them into the wilderness. They're shown all kind of miracles and the power of God moving and working. How did the people respond? The Bible says, our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They wanted the world. But you can't have both. Our God is all-consuming fire. He can't just burn half of you. He's got to burn in all of it. You have to answer the question, especially this time of year, Christmas time. Christmas time think is your heart back in Egypt desiring the things of the world are you ready to respond and be God's champion God's champion for the cause that God has raised you for there's a purpose for every person in here are you ready to respond like Mary and say may it be as you have spoke i'm your champion i'll be the guy job answered that question oh yeah I forgot to mention to you what happens when you decide to be God's champion. You want to know? Read Job. Satan comes to God and says, "Hey." God says, "Where you been, Satan?" I've been walking around to and fro across the earth just checking things out. And what did God say? "Have you considered my servant Job?" What's he saying? "Have you considered Job? He's my champion." Satan says, ah, oh, he can't be your champion. I can take him down easy. Do You know that the smile of God earns you the frown of the devil? Do you know responding and saying, I will do what God is calling me to do means that you are going to be on the radar of the enemy. And he will attack. That's why... Not only do we need to be obedient, not only do we need to have our faith in God, but we must endure hardship like a good soldier. Talk to guys. Talk to guys who have been out, spent the time in Iraq, spent the time in Afghanistan. It's a long time to be away from family and friends. And in harm's way as the enemy is trying to do all kinds of things to destroy your life. But nonetheless, they endure. Why? Looking for home. We endure looking for home. God's question to us is Christmas. God's question now is, Will you be my champion? The children of Israel, the Bible goes on to tell us, the Lord quoting Amos in in verse 42, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Did you ever give anything to me? But you were carrying with you the idols of Molech and the star of So what's the Bible say? God gave them up. Folks, that means the cycle starts over again. What do I mean the cycle starts over again? They go back to the world. What do they learn in the world? Dissatisfaction with the world. And in the midst of their dissatisfaction in the world, what do they do? They cry out to God. And what does He say? I see you. I hear you. I have come down. And I am sending you. The question for us as we look at this which Stephen lays out for us. Are we resisting the Holy Spirit or are we responding? Are we responding? Are we saying, like Isaiah the prophet, here I am, send me. Like Job in the midst of his suffering, are we saying, though he slay me, yet I will serve him. Are we saying, I'll answer the call. He is sending me. I will answer the call. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to go. Or do we resist? And does the cycle start over again? Look in your life. Look at the chaos. Look at the problems. Are you dissatisfied? Because Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And if that's not what you're experiencing, I would say you are resisting the Holy Spirit. And you are only partially given to God. You are making a, a statement. You are making a statement that says, hey, I believe. I believe, God. I believe in, in what you've done for me. And you or maybe you're just given a, a token. Are we really wholly given? Do we just give an outward statement of commitment? Is that all it is? Do we give a little token of dedication? Is that all it is? But in our hearts, we are turned back to the world. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And he will burn you All over. Just like the bush. But what do we read about the bush? It was consumed in fire, but was not consumed. It didn't burn away. Just like God sent the angel of the Lord, He's sending you. You are His little burning bush, you are the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then we're told by Paul to take that light and what? Hide it under a bushel, bury it under the covers, or let it shine? Let it shine. Listen, God will not just burn on your right arm. You cannot say, Lord, my right arm is all yours, and there's a little burning bush. Here, my arm's burning. But the rest of me is just going to be all about the world. If that's how I am, there will be no fire. There'll be no life. There'll be just dissatisfaction. Or I give myself away. All of me. Hey, it's not all that great, to be honest with you. You probably shouldn't do it. It costs you a lot of stuff. It costs you a lot of stuff. And a lot of that stuff, you give up and you say, I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give that away. I don't want to give that away. And every time I hear those words out of my mouth, I hear my heart. Is turned to Egypt. And I don't want to be like that. So I want to give it all up. If he wants it. He can have it. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. He left everything. To be born. In a manger. And he says to you and I. Will you be my champion. That to be my champion, you too, will give everything. Will we respond or will we resist? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity, God, to just study your word and to open up the word of God. And to receive that which the burning bush of old has spoken to us. And to be faced with the same questions as Moses. And we can respond in the same way as Moses, God. We can, and too often we do. Or we can respond like Mary. We can respond like Isaiah. We can respond as others champion the cause of Christ. Here am I. Send me. If it is in my life, God, and you don't want it there, take it. If it is in my life and it is holding me back, burn it away. So that all that is left is me wholly given to you. I want to answer the call, I want to be the champion of God for this time for this moment in this place I don't want to be afraid and I don't want to struggle with disbelief so you allow me God to come before you in an attitude of reality and say God help me with my fear help my unbelief The Lord's response to us is I am with you I am the I am I am everything you need and I am here I have seen I have heard I have come down and I send you, Thank you. may we go in Jesus name we pray Amen. We're going to close out in an attitude of worship. I invite you guys to worship with us. Please remember that we've called for a time of special prayer and worship tonight. If you would like to join us in prayer for the children and children's ministry.